Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 33rd episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. I really, really appreciate everybody tuning in more than you know. If you like the episode, please subscribe so that you don't miss any more episodes. Please share it on social media so that your friends can listen as well. I would always love to see more ratings and comments. Make sure you give me a follow on Twitter at It's R.A. Kuhn. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N so that you don't miss out on any news about the podcast. I'd like to welcome on a very special guest, Marty Cordero. Marty is the president of the Omaha Storm Chasers, AAA affiliate of the Kansas City Royals, and Union Omaha professional soccer team. Can't wait to chat with Marty Cordero right after this break. Marty, thank you so much for taking the time out of your afternoon uh, to hop on the Pulling Tart podcast with me. How does it feel to be the first Triple A guest on the show as of now? Hey, Bobby. Good afternoon. You know, it feels great. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, any podcast that has the word tarp in it is welcome in this crazy 2020 (laughs) since. We've had very few, if any, tarp poles uh, at Warner Park or anywhere else in the country. All right, all right. So how is it possible to be the president of a AAA baseball team and a professional soccer team? Is there enough time in your day? Well, it's a great question. You know, I was president and GM of baseball up until... Uh, October about a year ago, okay. And uh, when when uh, we started to put the soccer staff together and, and started to reconceptualize, you know, what does professional sports in Omaha look like, and how is our how do our staffs operate? It just made sense to promote a former Rawlings Woman of the Year winner in 2017, Lori Schlender, who's been a longtime GM, excuse me, assistant GM uh, with the Omaha Storm Chasers, promoted her into the GM role. And away we went. And uh, we have a COO that uh, basically has the GM title, if you will, on the soccer side. His name is Matt Amanoff. Okay. Uh, and I work with both of those individuals on a day-by-day basis. Uh, so I would tell you, October till March 11th, probably not a big deal. Right. March 11th until now, it's been it's been a, it's been the world is upside down, as we all know, based on what's been going on. Uh, from COVID and the impact in the sports world. Uh, so now I'm running sales again and okay. I'm selling both sides and I'm helping with marketing, promotion, social media. It's almost like I'm back to my A-ball days All right. uh, in Battle Creek again, doing, doing everything. Uh, but that's been the big change. So really the bigger question, Bobby, is you know what does 21 look like? And I don't think anybody can answer that. If someone does, then I want to talk to them right now. 
Yeah, yeah. So a little bit about me. Um, you know, we we met on Twitter, of course. Um, but so I'm strictly a ball. That's my experience. Um, I was in. I was raised in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I worked for them as well, um, the Williamsport Crosscutters. I worked for the Beloit Snappers, um, who will soon have a new name and a new yeah. stadium. Um, That's going to be awesome for them. Yeah. You know, that was a little trivia. That was the first affiliated minor league club to actually offer me a job was Beloit. Okay. And, and at the winter, meet, winter meetings in December of 98, and then I ended up taking a job with the West 10 Diamond Jacks uh, instead, that was Double A Cubs at the time, and, and I started in group ticket sales. So, okay, uh, I have a connection uh, uh, to Dennis Connerton, who's still there in Beloit, yeah, uh, all the way back till December of '98. Okay, you know yeah, of course, I do know Dennis very well. In fact, um, so I worked for Beloit for four years, and then I worked for the Delmarva Shorebirds for three years. So uh, strictly a ball for me. Uh, I'm out of baseball now. I work for a state farm agency here locally, but um, just really fell. I had the idea for this podcast for a while, but never had the time to do it because I worked in baseball, of course. Um, So I just really, really like to uh, not only chat and catch up with other people that work in minor league baseball, but I like to give them the spotlight as well. So, so that's what we're, we're here, you know, talking to you about. Um, so you did touch that you're running sales again. And I did want to ask, do sales overlap, um, with the soccer team and the baseball team? Uh, in some instances, Bobby, they do. Okay. Really, on the corporate sponsorship side, the, the tickets have not overlapped. The group sales have not overlapped. Okay. But again, as we now have to re envision what our future is, mm-hmm. uh, based on financially what have been the impacts on both organizations, uh, we're having a lot of conversations on can we do a joint sales staff, or does it make the most sense to keep them independent? And we'll be making those decisions really in the next three to four weeks. So okay. uh, those are those are. I was on an hour long call today specifically about that question. And um, you know, again, the crossover really lends itself well to sponsorships because you're dealing with the same people. But there are so many different departments from a group sales perspective, and then uh, even on the ticket package, ticket packages, you could have an executive. Uh, assistant, or you could have marketing do ticket packages. So there's not as much crossover there. So we'll see. We'll see where we land. Okay. All right. Uh, so as the president of a AAA club, do you still participate in tart pools? Uh, I do, but not with the regularity that I used to. Okay. My, my tart pulling uh, would be during a game uh, or uh, if we are short staffed. Uh, but on the regular, I don't, I don't get the six a.m. calls anymore. Okay. Uh, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't get the oh blank calls at eight thirty at night when everybody went home and there was nothing in the forecast and you start a homestand the next day. Right. So, you know, I don't, I don't get those calls anymore. Uh, but absolutely, you know, um, during game, prior to the game, on game day, when I'm at the ballpark, uh, I think there's something. Well, there's nothing actually like. Um, 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 people pulling tarp uh, from different departments. It really, it's it's um, it's the ultimate sign of teamwork. Sure. And other other sports really have no concept uh, of it. Right. Uh, and 
sometimes, especially uh, in late April, early May, or in late August, when you've pulled tarp 13 times in an eight-game homestand or whatever the crazy number is, yeah. they don't want to know about pulling tarp. Right. Uh, but, but it is something that is very unique to baseball, uh, and it's something that over the years – yeah, it's uh, there've been a lot of uh, uh, funny moments, uh, but there's also been some scary ones, as you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, do do you want to elaborate on any of the funny ones? Yeah, um, I, this this could borderline on both. Okay. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama has Rickwood Field. Rickwood mm-hmm. Field is the oldest uh, ballpark that's still in action right now yeah. in the country, and it's for only one game a year. They do the Rickwood Classic, and I was fortunate to work there in 2003 and 2004 for two seasons. And um, it was one of those pop-up sales uh, that just happened. And when the storms developed, half the staff drove from Rickwood to then Hoover Met, Mm -hmm. which was about 35 or 40 minutes away, if I remember right. And the other half stayed at Rickwood Field. Okay. So those of us that stayed knew that we needed to get that game in, but we were understaffed to pull tarp. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, there were a couple of us that had to let go or we would have been taken into the stands where half of the tarp ended up. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, what ended up happening, uh, we ended up getting too much rain uh, on either the third, in, either between first and second or second, third, I can't remember what it was, and the game ended up getting getting postponed until the next day and we made it up as part of a you know game and a half double header right at uh, hoover met uh but yeah you know we i remember uh one of the first times uh, someone pulled tarp i think this was in jackson tennessee and no matter how much tarp training you do until you do it uh you don't really know uh, that you're gonna fall and when yep. you fall uh there are certain things you do, certain things you don't do. Sure. And you don't really start looking for your radio. You let your radio or your hat go, and you just get the heck out from underneath the tarp. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of those things have happened with regularity, and probably the worst was in Battle Creek, Michigan, the final season at C.O. Brown Stadium, uh, which would have been the year before I came to Omaha. So that was, so it would have been 06. And it was early April as – minor league baseball starts and we had to chip about a quarter of an inch of ice off the tarp it had rained and then it got down into the upper 20s so we had to chip we had to chip the ice off but what was more challenging is the tarp was so old and it was the last year of of baseball it wasn't just just chip the ice and get it off and if we damage it we'll get another tarp it would Oh, this is all you get for the year. Yeah, so it took us like three three hours or whatever to chip chip this ice off, you know, and 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 so so many stories, so many memories, and uh, you know, most of them positive, but you know, some of them uh, not good. Some yeah, not good. right, right, and yeah, I certainly have a lot of you know bad moments, um, but also you know funny moments as well from pulling tarp. But when I was trying to figure out what I was going to name the podcast, I was like. Well, what's the epitome of working in baseball? It's pulling tarp. So, and it just kind of yes. just kind of yes. went hand in hand there. So, you've worked for your fair share of teams, as you alluded. Um, some of them are no longer, right? So, yep. Yep. how do you feel about minor league baseball potentially contracting and those yeah. com- those communities losing those teams? 
keyword, Bobby, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. the keyword there is community. Yeah. And, you know, there is a community within baseball for those of us that work in it and the things that we try to do, irregardless of what market we travel to. And then you take a community like a Burlington, Iowa or a Jackson, Tennessee, which aren't exactly in day drive. I guess Burlington, you could say, is within drive of Chicago. But you take a look at those communities and for, you know, a family of four or five where a mom works part time during the school year at the school as a receptionist and the dad is a laborer. You know, they're not going to have 1500 to 2500 bucks to drop on a trip to go to Chicago or maybe even more money nowadays. Mm-hmm. But you know what? They could spend, you know, two or three hundred dollars over the course of a summer and go to two or three minor league baseball games. So yeah. taking away that access is really, to me, uh, something that this one baseball mantra, whatever the hell that that is, um, you know, for me, it's controlling baseball yeah. from the beginning to the end. I think that's really what it means. I think it's it's nicely packaged mm-hmm. in in the one baseball mantra, and I do believe that that is going to hurt to a degree. Now, that being said, we'll see what happens with the forty clubs. Is there an increased resurgence in independent baseball? Is there going to be some type of uh, not affiliated baseball, but is there going to be some type of an agreement, much like Major League Baseball started testing some of these rules in the Atlantic League and testing mm-hmm. some new things this past year? Will there be an overhaul of that side that might, that Major League Baseball will have some input? Mm-hmm. If there is, maybe it works. Uh, but, you know, these clubs aren't set up with player personnel people like a lot of the independent clubs are. You know, we're business right. operators, we're community folks, we're special events operators. That's what we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, uh, but I'm not, I'm not overly optimistic that, you know, these 40 to 45 clubs, depending on what the final number is, that they're all going to end up with some form of professional baseball. And that's, and that's sad. That's very tough. And yeah, Battle Creek would have been on the list. Jackson, Tennessee is on the list. Fortunately, you know, Birmingham and, and Omaha are not on the list. Uh, but, you know, of these clubs, you know, about half of them are operators, whether they're presidents, owners, GMs. They're people that I know. They're colleagues. Yeah. They're people that, that I know. And the ones that I don't know, they're people that I've worked in this business with for 22, 23 years. It just really stinks. You know, it just really stinks. And of all years for this to happen – you know, these markets and clubs aren't even going to get a chance to have a swan song night, to have a swan song season mm-hmm. of saying goodbye and doing it, doing it properly and celebrating decades and decades and decades of, of affiliated ball in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm with you there. I'm very, very cautiously optimistic, but at the same time, um, you know, you and I, that's where we made our bread and butter was was from minor league baseball. And me growing up in a small town and working in multiple small towns like you have, um, you know, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, the Crosscutters, that's where I had my first sip of beer. That's where I fell in love with the game of baseball. Um, you know, I, ju- I would just hate to see th- that go away um, from small communities and i think we're in agreement that uh baseball needs new younger fans right yes yeah Yeah, it does and um i I think from a marketing uh and and promotions perspective that 
I think I think baseball on the balance has probably done a better job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but um, doing a better job uh, starting from where they were is not acceptable. Uh, and it's not what our game needs as it relates to how successful the NBA is mm-hmm. and how rapidly the soccer growth has been in our country over the last five to eight, six to eight years. Yeah, uh, there, there are you know the USL is the fastest growing professional sports league in the world right now. Okay, and there, there are as many as a dozen markets that are talking about adding professional soccer in the USL realm. Over the next, you know, three to five years, two to five years, and that's when I when I, when we talk about contraction of baseball, we need we need baseball to stabilize or grow. We don't need it to contract mm-hmm. uh, in light in light of what's going on with soccer and some of the other things. But you know, I think all the great young players, Acuna with the Braves, and you still have Mike Trout that's at a young age, and uh, the Royals, you know, have the deepest pitching. Uh, from a farm system perspective of, of any organization out there, and while the Padres still have all this talent, and they traded half of their top 20 prospects away for their World Series run this year, there's so many great young players that are out there, Tatis Jr. and Bichette, and we could go on and on. Yeah, Man, I would salivate if I was in marketing at Major League Baseball right now. I mean, what, right. a, what a time to do it. Uh, but but you take a look at uh, and, and you, you follow players like Trevor Bauer and some of the others that rightfully and thankfully speak up and talk out about the things that MLB continuously does to shoot themselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now they've got whatever this most recent social media thing is that's happened here in the last few days. I'm not fully vested in it, so I can't really answer any questions on it. I've, I've just topically read about it. But again, you have to make things, you have to make the game accessible uh, or more accessible and more fun and more lively. It's already difficult enough because players play every day. Yeah. When you're at the NBA and when you're NFL and when you're playing soccer or hockey, you have a lot of downtime. So there's a lot more time for players to interact with fans on social media or in a normal year to do appearances and community uh, uh, givebacks. but in baseball, you don't have that time. So social media is kind of what you're left with. Yeah. And I think we we need to re-envision as an industry. I don't want to just damn on MLB, but as an industry, even on the minor league side, we need to re-envision what player engagement and player community participation is uh, in light of COVID, uh, but also how do we grow our game as well. Right, right. So that leads me into my next question. Uh, so you sit on some MILB diversity boards. Um, so baseball in the United States is kind of known as a rich white guy sport, right? Um, I yeah. mean, I mean, yes, there are plenty of Latin American players, um, but as as Americans go, um, you don't see a lot of African Americans, um, you know, playing playing baseball. And so how does baseball get new, diverse fans? Yeah, I, I think it's a commitment. You know, former Commissioner Bud Selig really led the charge for the, for the diversity initiative. Um, uh, Pat O'Connor on the minor league side, you know, he started a diversity committee about nine or ten years ago for which I've been fortunate to serve on. Yeah. And those commitments on the minor league side have continued, but very slowly. And the growth for us has primarily been 
marketing and educating uh, students that have gone to historically black colleges and universities. Okay. Uh, and there is a lot of upside there on educating that it's not just about playing baseball or coaching, that there's this whole world of minor league baseball jobs and also, by extension, major league baseball jobs. Uh, but but at the major league level, you know, I don't know what that commitment is. Uh, I know that uh, the uh, makeup of uh, Major League Baseball's uh, front office, if you will, um, mm-hmm. in, in New York um, has um, has changed. Uh, I believe, uh, you know, that diversity has changed uh, not for the better uh, okay. over the last three, three to five years. You mentioned rich white guys. Um, And I think that that is uh, somewhat what the makeup is uh, from uh, from the key stakeholders. You know, I I can't speak to the entry level and and the middle tier folks. Sure. But I think any organization is going to operate like it looks. And I think we just need to make that commitment. And, you know, as many Latin players and you mentioned that, Bobby, as many Latin players that are in the game, you know, how come our front offices don't look the same, whether it's on the major league or the minor league side? Yeah. You know, on the minor league side, it's more about market by market. And we have, we have less control over who we hire versus what, what MLB does because they are all in large markets who have a diverse population to some degree. It's going to vary by percentages, you know, different Mm -hmm. parts of the country. Sure. Um, you know, but you know, whether you're in Houston or either you're in Texas or whether you're in San Diego, or Arizona, Phoenix, you know, obviously those are markets where you have, you know, a larger opportunity uh, for, uh, you know, a Latin front office or, you know, Latinx front office employees versus some other markets. Uh, But again, I think it's commitment. I think it's commitment. um, uh, And it kind of really goes back to what we talked about before this question is that marketing piece. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it's got to be a unified approach because, you know, you look at 2050 uh, is really what we need to be gearing for, not 2025. And this country is going to continue to change. And, you know, some will look at that, that that's for the worse. And some look at that, that that's for the better. As a business operator, I look at it as reality and how do we need to change so we can continue to grow our business. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a lot of information. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't know a lot of that. Um, but yeah, like you know we, you and I have both spent our fair share you know you more than I um working for minor league teams and what there's usually maybe one african american player on on each team that I've worked for so i mean i i'm with you baseball needs to get new young diverse fans and i i don't think they're moving rapidly um towards that and um, your thoughts are fantastic, honestly. Um, yeah, and I, and, I, and I think if you take a look at the draft shrinking from 50 to 40 rounds, what, seven, eight years ago, and now from 40 rounds to five this year, but it's going to settle out at somewhere between 20 and 30. Yeah. And with COVID uh, helping, unfortunately, college baseball to have programs that just have evaporated and aren't going to exist anymore, those are actually – all of those things are actually taking opportunities away mm-hmm. from African-Americans or black athletes to choose uh, to to go to play baseball. Number one, 11.7 scholarships, and you don't give full rights to players. And if you shrink the draft, uh, a lot of you know the African-American baseball players are, are more raw 
so they're less likely to be drafted high. Yeah. So players like a Gerard, Gerard Dyson, who's still in the big leagues, he was a 50th round draft pick. Someone like Lorenzo Cain, he didn't start playing baseball too; he was a junior in yeah. high school. Yeah. So you know, you, those are examples that I can speak to because they both played in Omaha for the sure. Storm Chasers and are both great guys. Mm-hmm. But if MLB really means business, my opinion is you help fund more scholarships at the college level and you don't continue to contract the draft, then you really want to cast a wider net. So some of those players that may have a choice, like a Carl Crawford, who chose between playing quarterback uh, here at Nebraska for Tom Osborne or Frank Solich, whoever was the coach, or signing his contract – Adam, when he got drafted out of Houston with the Tampa Bay Rays, or at the time the Devil Rays, mm-hmm. you know, that really isn't happening anymore. Perfect example, look at Kyler Murray yeah. after he was, you know, a first round draft pick, and even though he was given multi million by the Oakland Athletics, he chose to go play football versus baseball. Yeah. And I just think that there are more things we can do at the university level and and MLB can have more influence to help go from 11.7 maybe to 15 or 16 scholarships i think that could potentially help as well as what can we also do uh to level the playing field because of the cost of select baseball and select baseball really you know it it segregates out a number of players not just not from a standpoint of skin color and a racial perspective but from a socioeconomic perspective You know, yep. There are a number of players that really just get left out. And you know what? They may say to heck with it. I'm just going to play football or I'm just going to play basketball or I'm not going to play sports at all. Yeah. And so I did want to dive into this. So, you know, one of the reasons I'm not in baseball anymore is because you're working all the time. And especially in the minor leagues, your your paycheck is, is peanuts, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, of course, you know, I – you know, I'm not going to say, you know, I was very middle class, lower to middle class, I would say, um, growing up. And I was fortunate to be able to take internships that paid $500 a month or, or what have you to get my foot in the door. But they're, you know, um, African-Americans or, you know, people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds statistically just cannot take that chance to do an internship for $500 a month. Um, so how do, how do we change the front office uh, aspect of that? That's, that's a question day by day. Yeah. And you know, it, it, it's even more complex now because of COVID, because now we're just trying to save jobs. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to save desks. Sure. Um, sure. I understand. You know, you know, at, at one point we were down from 30 to seven full-time employees, Man. you know, over the last, you know, few months because of COVID at a triple A AAA organization. Sure. Um, so it's, um, it's one that's not easily answered, uh, but I do believe it has to be a commitment. Um, when you're, when you are marketing or when you're posting jobs, you're not just putting them on a PBEO job board or a teamwork online job board, but you're also um, visiting with all of your area colleges and local universities, right? Um, and and you're and and you are diverse from within, not not from a not from a racial perspective, but you're diverse in your thinking that our candidates can be from here, meaning you know I'm holding my hands three feet apart, 
not from here, three inches apart. Right. And I, 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 I think that it has to be an internal commitment, much like we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of, 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 from an MLB perspective. Um, but you also have to be involved in those communities and if you're if those areas of the community and if you're only going wherever the ballpark's located or you know where the money is if you will from the standpoint of corporate sponsorship that's where you're doing all your appearances you're not speaking to the greater population you need yeah. you need to make sure that you're talking to the entire community uh, so a, a lot of it has to do with the philosophy of whoever the club operator is okay all right so I did read in your profile online on the on the Storm Chasers website, uh, you play the drums. Do you still play um, in gigs and stuff around Omaha? I, I re- recently started, well, last year I, I joined a band that had been playing for a number of years. Uh, they needed a drummer, so I, I, I am. I'm playing. Uh, we played our first gig uh, since COVID started. Uh, la- the last was it the last Thursday in August. Okay. Uh, we we started a little bands and brews series out at Warner Park at our ballpark, and oh. uh, it was only a hundred and eleven heat index or whatever it was. Huh. It was it was hot. It was so hot. It was it was miserable hot. But I do. Uh, but but we only rehearse a couple times a month, and uh, they're all they're all three. They are all three surgeons uh, at Nebraska Medicine wow. here in the metro area, and. Uh, and it's fun, you know. We play uh, uh, songs from Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, and Rolling Stones, all the way up to now, uh, and then in music all in between. Tom Petty, Foo Fighters, Tame Impala, Cage the Elephant, a little bit of everything, and, and it's fun. It's a good, it's a good stress relief, and uh, but I miss it. Yeah, that's something I wish I had more time to do. But yeah, you know, it's the nature of nature of life, you know, the, the older you get, the, the better you are. Yeah, right, right. We're gonna we're gonna take this chance to cut to a break, and we'll be right back with Marty Cordero right after this break, folks. Welcome back, Marty. Uh, what is the strangest fan interaction you've had over your years? Uh, well, it's kind of recent. I don't know if it's the strangest, but one of the uh, we had a, a ticket holder on the soccer side uh, was not pleased with our soccer COO. So he recently went out and had a shirt made with our soccer COO. His name's Matt. And his face on it. <laughs> and so I don't even know. I, I, something, there was a message on the back of the shirt. I don't even remember what it said, but it was taunting our COO. And it was, and he obviously didn't get approval to use his image and likeness and all that. that. So I'm sitting here thinking, really, what, what does the world come to? Can, can we really just not communicate? Can we not communicate face to face anymore? Right. Uh, so it was, that was kind of antagonistic. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there have been so many, you know, it's uh, it's like it's like restaurant. You know, you have people that will eat, you know, four fifths of a hot dog and then they'll say, oh, the hot dog was terrible. It was cold instead of taking a bite and then asking for a new one. I mean, you know, th- those those are those are those are the crazy ones. But I will tell one. Uh, funny story. Uh, we had uh, these rum buckets with, at the Storm Chasers, and they were they were uh, it was a batch drink, and they were colored blue to match our team colors. Okay. And uh, this was probably five years ago, four or five years ago, and so 
there was a group that was getting ready to leave and there was a guy that just he just he couldn't get up he just he was having problems getting up and and he was like he was in and out of consciousness and um thank goodness he wasn't driving right and so one of our staff members went over to help the group get the guy up so you know you 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 make sure you got his hat or his phone and you make sure he's got all his stuff and and he was like wait 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 and one of my former employees was like what is he said i need my teeth i can't find my teeth (laughs) so so these big plastic rum buckets um uh sean was 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 employee's name still a friend of mine the guy said they're in my bucket so they had to find, and the guy couldn't find the bucket. Anyway, it had, it had fallen down into the row in front, and so the guy had his teeth out of the rum bucket. He, and the guy pulls his, right in front of him, pulls the teeth out of the rum bucket, and puts the teeth in his mouth. And, and anyway, we, we laughed about, we laughed, we still laugh about that forever. So, you know, you're going to have, you're going to interaction, you know, like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you're going to have funny, you're going to have funny promotional nights. Uh, uh, one promotion, Jackson, Tennessee, one time that um, was kind of a what's in the box type promotion. Okay. So you get to choose what's in the box, or uh, you're guaranteed to you know to win something else. Sure. And so we had, we had six boxes, and we had a guy that when he was selected, he probably was sober. But by the time the contest happened in the fifth or sixth, seventh inning, he wasn't. Yeah. And um, that afternoon, I had this is back in Jackson, Tennessee. And that afternoon, I had cleaned the refrigerator out. One of the items that out of the refrigerator was sour cream that was like three or four months old. Oh, and and so anyway, that was in the box. Instead of taking the prize, he took the box and wasn't happy about it. And he he thinks he's in the Olympics and he discs it into the crowd. And my job flashed before my my eyes. Wow. And, and uh, there's this like I don't know, 10, 11, 12, 13 year old kid that reaches that. Out, snags it with his hand, but part of the lid came open, so ended up we had we had to give like five or six T-shirts to people or whatever oh, it was. Man. But that's not the funny part. The funny part was the very next night. This is pre-texting. This is pre-social media. The very next night, um, the season ticket holders had communicated because this was largely a season ticket uh, section. And when the promotion happened, they all took umbrellas out and they opened umbrellas because they didn't want to get sour cream on their <laughs> on their uh, on their clothes. So those are some of the memories and the funny things that have happened in ballparks that that, that uh, you know that, that are that are everybody does giveaways. Uh, uh, yeah, everybody does a number of different things like that. But those are some of those are some of the funny things that, that I remember. Yeah, yeah. I told a story a couple episodes of a an older lady um, saying very raunchy things to me about um entertaining her granddaughter um but I'll, I'll tell you that another time um but i'll share another one here so i was in beloit and i doubled as the pa announcer and i played the music um at the same time okay. and so our on-field mc it was my it was my birthday and our on-field mc he got the crowd to sing happy birthday to me. Well, a couple, you know, maybe an inning later or something like that, somebody comes up. So 
you're like right there in the crowd. Like people can come up and talk to you and it's not ideal, but it is what it is. Um, so I'm in the press box and this girl comes up and she puts a, uh, cup of beer on the ledge. And she said, this is from my friend. She's, she's sits right next to me. She's sitting right next to me. And it had, it's had a name and a number written on the cup. And, and then it said, happy birthday. I was I wasn't single at the time. I was taken, so I did not take her up on that. But uh, still, still funny nonetheless. So yeah, I have I have a baseball that I intercepted um, at the end of last year. I don't remember which visiting team, and um, the baseball had the player's name and phone number, and and yeah, you know, he was he was throwing it into the crowd. Oh, to, yeah. uh, a particular young lady or young man. I don't I don't I don't really know who he was throwing it to, but somehow. So somehow I ended up with it, so I have it in my office, and it's it's you know it's so my trophy case. Or whatever. <laughs> those are those are the those are the funny things. You know, oh, yeah. Those are the memories. We one giveaway item that just just popped in my head. My first year in baseball um, in Jackson, Tennessee. Again, our our boss uh, cut this promotion with a seafood market, and we gave away the first thousand fans were to get lobster tails. Oh, okay. Well, I volunteered my vehicle to be the vehicle to go pick up the lobster tails. The problem is it wasn't a pickup truck. It was a utility, sport utility vehicle. Mm-hmm. And those lobster tails sloshed all over oh. my vehicle. So it did not smell good. The worst thing was the ballpark stunk. And then we had people that ended up getting sick. Because oh. you think of a seafood a seafood market, you know, a restaurant trying to cook a thousand lobster tails and, and, and provide them properly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's that that's a promotion. It's like promotion's gone wrong. It's like, <laughs> did we really try did we really try that? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did many years ago. <laughs> wow. So can you kind of describe the process of managing a project like building a new AAA ballpark and then uh, rebranding the team as well? Yeah, you know, you know, a lot of times, Bobby, when you, when you go through that process, you are in a market where the community and the organization can't wait to get out of the existing ballpark. Okay, yep. So in Omaha, it was the exact opposite. You had you had petitions, you had organizations that were save Rosenblatt, save Rosenblatt. It was an icon, and it still is, sure. even though it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So we had to properly put Rosenblatt to bed in a respectful manner and not run out of there. Okay. While building a new facility, while going through a name the team contest as well for an organization that had been in essence named the Omaha Royals for 40 plus years. Yeah. So there were all these interesting dynamics and what was key for us is I was not club president at the time. Uh, Alan Stein was former team president with the Lexington Legends as well. Okay. And Battle Creek and the Battle Creek club that I worked for. So oh, right. Michigan Devil Rays. Yeah. So Alan kind of had the, the, the government role and the negotiating role as it related to the new facility. Rob Crane and I uh, were in charge of all the sales uh, of both existing and the future ballpark. And then I took on, um, you know, the project management of the new ballpark and then Rob Crane and some others were really operating day by day at Rosenblatt Stadium. Okay. Uh, so it was, uh, it was really about working together as a team to get through that. Uh, but again, we had to be really sensitive because we were staying in the same market 
but we were getting out of a ballpark that a lot, most, I would say, a majority of Omaha's and the med- people in the metro they didn't they didn't want Rosenblatt to go away. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now now it's kind of an afterthought. People still talk about it. Uh, September second or third, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago was the tenth uh, was ten years since the last baseball game had been played at Rosenblatt. How quickly time flies. Yeah. And uh, you know that that brought back a number of mem- memories. But uh, yeah, it was really a- about just organizing and attacking it as a team, not trying to take everything on yourself. And, um, you know, going through the name, the team, uh, going through the name, the team process was something that, that, uh, I had not, well, actually, I guess we did it in battle Creek, but it was a much, much, much lesser market. It sure, was sure. A much different process. Uh, this was something the team had been around for 40 years and you wanted to be respectful of. So that was probably that. And then explaining to people, what a modern minor league facility was because Rosenblatt Stadium being 24,000 seats and Nebraska not having another affiliated club, it was really difficult to explain to people why you needed a carousel, why you needed something, you know, why you needed five picnic areas, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and now, now you have, you know, the Ferris wheel and, and, and quad cities and you have the lazy river that Milo has down in Frisco and, on and on and on, trying to explain to people why all this stuff. And, you know, minor league baseball was on the cutting edge of social spaces as well, drink rails. And yeah. now that's the, no, that's the norm now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was also difficult because not only did Rosenblatt not have them, they didn't put them in TD Ameritrade Park where the College World Series is now played, and they weren't building them either. So those are probably the two, the two most sensitive things. Okay. Hey, makes sense. Makes sense. I see your your dogs trying to get on the podcast as well. Um, oh what? yeah, Tilly's Tilly's T- trying to trying to get her pets in. <laughs> okay, yeah. Bo Bo is upstairs right now. He is a Beagle Jack Russell mix. Um, okay, so she's a great noodle. Oh, Standard poodle and great Dane mix. Oh wow. Okay. Wow. Very very cute. Oh wow. Yeah. I love big dogs. Um, this is definitely the smallest dog I've ever had, but he, um, when he sees other people and dogs out the window, he howls. So I had to, I had to put him away for, (laughs) to record, of course. So, um, so how important is it to you for the storm chasers to be involved in the community? I know I was reading your profile. It seems like you're really big on that and it must be a pretty daunting and big task considering how big the Omaha market is. It is. Uh, but, but it's, it's doable because, you know, we hire people, uh, or we educate people on the importance of that. Okay. And, you know, most people that get into minor league baseball already have a pretty good baseline that that's what we do. Uh, sure. Community promotion, marketing, sales. Um, so, but yeah, it's important to me, and uh, you know, it has been. Uh, I really started to to learn the importance of of being engaged in the community in in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, probably my third or fourth year there. Probably toward the back back end, and then. Birmingham a little bit more, and then in Jackson, uh, and then when I moved to Battle Creek, Michigan, was really when I, that was my first GM job, and that was the opportunity to, to really um, say, this is this is what's important to me, and uh, right. yeah, I've been fortunate to, to live in Omaha. Omaha is a very philanthropic community, and I'm very fortunate to be a part of it. Sure. Okay. Fantastic. And we do have one question uh, that was written in here. 
And uh, I think you know this person. It says, who is Marty's favorite Louisiana Tech athletics employee? Hint, this person also worked for you during the summer of 2016. (laughs) Jared (laughs) Latta. That's pretty funny that he he wrote that. Jared's a good guy. He's uh, one of the youngest... uh, foundation uh, directors in the country he took on the LTAC Louisiana Tech Athletic Club job uh, right as COVID started I think he actually started in April and uh, he's going he's gonna to do a really good job for the alma mater there but uh, yeah, he's a good guy, Jared's a good guy and someone that we offered a job to work in minor league baseball but he decided he wanted to go back uh, to college uh, sports and he okay. worked in Kansas for a number of years okay alright so Marty, where can the listeners find you on social media? Yeah, Omaha Prez, at Omaha Prez, and that's Omaha, and then P-R-E-Z, P-R-E-Z. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn, and I do a little bit on on, uh, Instagram, but not not a lot. Okay. Um, But primarily Twitter is is where I reside, and, um, you know, I, I, I do a little bit about sports, do a little bit about life on there, and sometimes get a little opinionated but uh, above all it's it's about communication because I think um, we as people have become right and wrong we've become left and right we've become Democrat Republican uh, we're not as much people uh, as we should be mm-hmm. uh, I was talking to, to someone I, I, I did a did a podcast earlier today a, a business symposium podcast and um, for Creighton University and and it's one of the things I, I, I cautioned as you're coming into the world, make sure you're still having a dialogue. Even if you believe one way, make sure you can still have dialogue because I believe that that's ultra, ultra important. And of course. That's some of, the thing, some of the things that I try to put out on Twitter is trying to get people to either see things from a different way or at least talk about them. Okay. All right. Makes sense. All right. I end every episode with the same question. What is the best walk-up or warm-up song you've heard in your baseball career, and whose was it? Oh, wow. That's a hard one. I've heard a lot. Um, Oh, man. Um, Golly. Um, I'm going to have to say some of the upbeat Latin ones. I'm just going to give you a general answer. Okay. You know, that started in ballparks probably about 10 years ago. Uh, and I think that started to give a different flavor because it wasn't just yeah. ACDC. It wasn't just uh, Hank Williams Jr. It wasn't just, you know, some of the canned stock ones. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, that, that, that was something that was fun. Uh, but I would say if I had to, mine would be Sober by Tool. I think that's just a great build up uh, song. If okay. that, that would be mine, but uh, I'll, I'll have to think about that, and I'll have to, I'll have to, I'll have to tweet that out. I'll tweet at you when I when I come up with perfect. A All right, awesome. All right, and then I'll I'll retweet it so that all the listeners know. So um, yeah, that's it, Marty. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your afternoon here uh, to hop on the Pulling Tart podcast with me. I thoroughly appreciate it, and your insight was fantastic. And uh, yeah, just thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome, Bobby. Yeah, let me know when it goes up, and I'll help put it out and maybe help help get you a few more listens. Great. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Have a great day. If you need something, follow up.
You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.